This is an episode that every parent needs to hear. In this episode, I sit down with Nick McKinley, the founder of Deliver Fund and also a former Air Force pararescue and CIA agent. Nick has committed his life to the topic of human trafficking and the information that we go into and the depth uh, that we explore on this topic brings it right to your front porch and it steps right into your house where it is right now. No matter who you are in the United States, no matter where you are, no matter what city, no matter what socioeconomic group you belong to, human trafficking and targeting your children is a very, very real thing. And you need to learn about it. And in this episode, Nick goes deep on this topic. And he's also going to share with you some of the steps that you can take to harden your family, your household, your community. Once again, this is a mandatory episode. I mean, this is extremely, extremely important. And uh, I invite you into this conversation, wherever you are, however you're listening to this episode, please be sure to subscribe, be sure to share it with any other parents who you feel may get value from it. Uh, but this, as we state in this episode, is an all-hands-on-deck epidemic. It's a situation that none of us can ignore. Welcome to the Close Quarter Dad podcast, discussions about raising your kids with confidence, safety, and resilience. I'm your host, Adam Mitchell, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, everyone. I want to welcome you back to this episode of the Close Quarter Dad podcast. Uh, today, we have a very special guest, Nick McKinley. And the goal of this episode is really to heighten awareness. And uh, I was listening to an interview that uh, Nick had done with someone, and something really stood out when he said he just couldn't look the other way. And uh, I hope that that is what is going to inspire you at the end of this conversation on the topic of human trafficking and child trafficking. And hopefully our goal is going to be to have someone with Nick's experience to educate you and give us some first steps as to what we can do in our lives and in our community, uh, where we can direct our support uh, and have a much clearer understanding on this critical, critical topic uh, that's happening to children uh, all over the world through exploitation and victimization. So, Nick, thank you so much again. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate you covering this topic. Yeah. So just some quick background, and then I like to just step right into the conversation. You have a, an extensive background, both in, uh, I, I love the story of how you hacked your way into, you know, some, some, some stuff. Maybe you could share the history that you had in your, I was at your high school, your elementary school. <laughs> yeah, my high school. Yeah. And the guy uh, who managed to graduate without actually being there. <laughs> so the reason why I want to bring this up is because my daughter just graduated high school with an incredible grade point average and somehow, uh, achieved this and missed 225 classes. So she did an exceptionally well job and I don't know when she went to school, and I'm wondering if maybe she she followed your story, or there's some type of connection there. That, but I gotta I gotta have a conversation with her about that. But I that just kind of when I heard that, it, it immediately stood out to me, and I was uh, I can appreciate that. Um, you went on following high school to join the military, Air Force. You went pararescue, uh, and then that's correct. Yes, and then after that. Uh, ended up as a uh, agent in counterintelligence for the Central Intelligence Agency. Uh, yeah, so I was a special agent for the CIA uh, within a specialized, uh, predominantly kinetic unit. 
uh, was respons- we were responsible for uh, operational facilitation, so making sure that actual operations got done. Uh, operations were primarily managed by the case officers and and uh, various folks within the agency. But it, let's say you, if you have a very specialized sensor that needs to be placed in a very specific place in a very dangerous area who actually places that sensor right if you have some very dangerous person who needs to be picked up in a uh in a on the street corner in a country where everybody wants to kill americans how do you safely get that person picked up and that was that was really the responsibility of my unit uh that's what we did uh there's actually more stars on the wall, unfortunately, at the agency uh, represented by my unit than anybody else during the global war on terror, uh, which is the, the sad part of it. But the, the amazing part is we, we managed to do a lot of good for the American taxpayer and managed to keep a lot of people safe. Well, thank you for that. I had a uh, conversation a couple, several weeks ago with uh, Gary Questenberry, and in that um, he, a lot of his work, all of his work right now is centered on situational awareness. And as a U.S. federal marshal, the last question I asked him in the conversation was, what keeps you awake at night and now after having so much experience in your life? And he did not think about it. A lot of the guests and the people that I have these conversations with, will take a moment and they'll consider that question. He immediately went straight to human trafficking. And he said, mm-hmm. if I had known now, if I had known then what I know now, um, how many lives I could have saved. And uh, that really stood out to me because in, in this podcast and the work that we do with fathers, I really want to have that conversation about the realities of human trafficking. And that really, <clears throat> that was something that I had plans to do. But hearing that from Gary made me say, okay, I need to tap into my network a little more and make this, make this a greater priority because it is so prevalent. And I'm not so certain that the majority of uh, parents uh, or our communities at, as a whole really understand the enormity of the situation globally and domestically. I was wondering if maybe we can uh, begin in, on that topic in sort of a macro, Nick, as far as what is the situation that we are facing and that you as someone who's front lines with this are contending with? Well, let me put it this way. Uh, I'm going to stereotype and assume that most of your, most of the dads who are listening to this podcast, um, have sons, have daughters that they want to protect. They probably have upgraded locks on their front doors. Some of them might even have reinforced doors and, you know, done all the physical security stuff. They probably have alarm systems, probably have motion sensors. Uh, They might even have a dog. Yet, when they send their teenage daughter to their room or their teenage son to their room because they're in trouble, usually because uh, there's a disagreement between father and child on on what the father will not allow the child to do, uh, it's pretty typical and pretty normal. They send them to their room and their child gets on their device and lets a human trafficker walk right into their bedroom. That's the reality of the situation today. And it's not because they're opening a window and letting them in. It's instead, their parents gave them the window to the internet, right? That, that internet-connected device, whatever it may be, uh, gave them the window to the internet to allow them 
to communicate with that trafficker. And I'll talk to parents and they'll say, but I have, I gave my child a, a special child only uh, tablet that, uh, you know, there's, there's nothing else they can do except play these certain games. Okay. So you gave your child a window into the internet that was restricted only to children. Where do you think the pedophiles and the traffickers hang out? Right. It's just as easy for them to create an account and pretend to be a child. Uh, we, if you go to the uh, Deliver Fund, um, you know, deliverfund.org, or you go to YouTube and you just search Deliver Fund, you'll, you'll find a video for a case that we did. Uh, we call the boy Noah. His dad was a very, very well-informed technologist. In fact, he was the vice president of cybersecurity at a, at a very well, well-known company that specialized in this issue. And he, so he had all the right routers, all the right everything in his house, all the right firewalls. Everything was locked down. And yet over an eight-month period, his son, teenage son, was groomed by a human trafficker through a gaming console. So something that he thought, well, there's no, right, this isn't Facebook, it's not TikTok, it's not Instagram, it's not, it's not social media, but if it allows two-way communication with strangers over the internet, that's where your human traffickers and your pedophiles hang out. And so for this young boy, he, over an eight-month period, was groomed, and then the trafficker uh, told him that, you know, he was up the street with his dad. Uh, well, it turned out, obviously, the dad was the trafficker, and the parents found the boy's cell phone in the neighbor's front yard, and uh, luckily our analysts were able to track down the trafficker, uh, but by the time they tracked him down, which only took a couple of hours, that boy was already in another state, and then it took the it took law enforcement a number of hours to get their stuff together so that they could get all the proper legal paperwork. And they sent a SWAT team to go kick the door and rescued the boy, but unfortunately, you know, some damage had already been done, and that all happened through a gaming console. So, what this this air marshal you spoke to was absolutely right, but not the in the way that people think. The human trafficking epidemic in the United States of America, and, and keep in mind, human trafficking, the human trafficking market in the United States, dollar for dollar is larger than anywhere else in the world. This is an American problem. This isn't an over there problem. This isn't a, you know, kids coming over in shipping containers. This isn't a southern border problem. Uh, this is not a, you know, the conspiracy theories that, you know, that, you know, Politicians are drinking the blood of children in their basement. No, none of that. None of that is real. What is real is human traffickers contacting children and manipulating and grooming them over the internet at scale, right under our roofs. That's the problem. Now, are you saying in, in this that the actual actors are coming in from anywhere in the world, or they're actually sourced inside domestically? and going after U.S. children because of locality. Is that what I'm hearing? So, no, these, this is an American problem. Yeah. By, the, by the DOJ's own statistics, over 80% of human traffickers are American citizens. Wow. Almost 90% of trafficking victims are American citizens. And almost 100%, not quite 100%, but almost 100% of the customers are American citizens in the United States. This is a very American problem. Wow, because you know, you're right. You do hear a lot of the conversations about the 
porous borders or the, the mm. you know, quote unquote Russian wives or situations mm-hmm. in, you know, children in the subways of Romania or, mm-hmm. you know, in Thailand at the brothels and all these different things, but, but really focusing that and targeting in on United States victims. But like your organization doesn't go after and save the victims. It actually goes after the, um, the, the, the predators. Uh, but that's, that's amazing. Um, can, so what are, what are the actual, is there, is there a metric to this? Is there a number as, as far as the scope of the epidemic? There aren't good ones, uh, just because we're talking about an underground market, and it's really hard to get human traffickers to take, uh, you know, market surveys. Yeah. So we don't we don't have the same data that we have in the in you know in the normal and normal commerce. Uh, but I think the statistic that highlights it the best actually comes from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, a phenomenal organization that we work very closely with. But they're primarily focused on on minor issues, right? So so national. Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So that doesn't include the 19-year-old who gets trafficked out of college, right? right? So so just dealing with children, so under the age of 18, the National Center found that they, in a five-year period, they had an 846% increase in suspected child trafficking cases. And the question is, why? And the reason is because we all have broadband-connected microcomputers in our pockets that we call smartphones that make it so that somebody can order a child to a hotel room just like they can order a pizza and for about the same price. So when you when you think about it in those in those terms and you think wait a minute, children are actually commodities that are sold on a black market that are subject to economic laws just like all markets and there's a virtually infinite supply of what are vulnerable children, which at some point is pretty much all children, then there are, there's an almost unlimited, uh, or there, there's, there's a, it's a limited demand market, but not as limited as, as we would think, right? Not so limited that it would, it would over, uh, it would overshadow the supply. So what's in the, what's in between is that human trafficker, right? They're essentially the wholesaler, the the broker that connects the customer with the product. So you can't have a trafficking victim if you don't have a human trafficker. And that's why we focus all of our time and effort on going after the human trafficker. Understood. You know, I want to pivot into some of the paradigms as far as human trafficking and sexual exploitation for kids because of, of children, because you know, as a father, but also being in the safety space uh, for my entire career, I understand that there are some perspectives that, that this is what we're talking about, sexual exploitation. But you, however, had what got you into this line of work is something you had witnessed while you were in the intelligence community. And I was wondering if you could share that story because all of the trafficking, and, and I may be wrong here within the United States, it's not just sexual exploitation. There are other other reasons for it. And I think this, this will help parents uh, to have a little bit of a paradigm shift over what we're facing here. So would you, would you mind sharing that, Nick? Yeah, when we talk human trafficking, it's not just co- uh, commercial sex in nature. We, uh, pretty much all trafficking is, is either for labor or parts. So when we think about human trafficking, when we say labor, right, commercial sex exploitation is really just another form of labor. 
but it's all forced labor. So we have uh, we have trafficking in the commercial sex space. We have trafficking in the cyber sex space. So like the pornography world, we have trafficking in uh, construction. We have trafficking in agriculture. We have trafficking in the making of rugs. You know, and in all kinds of different things. But then we also have trafficking for parts. When I say parts, I mean the parts of the machine, human parts. So in, in uh, uh, an Eastern European country overseas where we work, we helped law enforcement uncover uh, some surrogacy trafficking um, and, and child trafficking where they were uh, literally harvesting the organs of children to implant those, chil- those organs into the children of wealthy people who were sick. Um, we we have all types of different uh, all different types of trafficking but the major majority of it in the United States and in, in westernized nations is commercial sex in nature so um, so I was uh, I was actually in Afghanistan and we had uh, we had intelligence from a individual on uh, basically some, a uh, it was associated with uh, some bomb making uh, rings, right? And we found that one of the bomb makers was testing uh, a special technique for making the bombs blow up on, uh, was, was using a child. And the question became, well, where, where is the child? Whose child is it? Um, you know, why, why a child? Uh, we, we had an answer to the last question of why a child, but where did the child come from? And, and ultimately, the child ended up coming from a neighboring country. So, well, how does a child get from a neighboring country into the new country? And, and essentially, what we deduced was that this, this was a child trafficker, like somebody who would procure children for anybody who wanted a child. That could be adoption, that could be organs, that could be uh, essentially as a, uh, as a sex toy, uh, that could be to blow them up. He didn't care. He just procured, he just procured children. And once we had that intel and we pushed that intel, it uh, there was a JSOC uh, um, officer that I was working with who was responsible for pushing that intel. And I just remember him coming and saying, "There's like nobody cares. There's there's no place to put this intel." And when you think about it, we have a uh, we have a department. Of, oh, we have a drug enforcement agency. 90% of drugs are legal. Cocaine is actually used by ophthalmologists to numb the, the retina of the eye before they, they do surgery. So yet we spend tens of billions of dollars a year fighting the war on drugs, which is actually not getting any better. Right. We have a Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. Um, and in Texas... Alcohol, tobacco, and firearms is a convenience store, you know. So those are those are all uh, legal commodities. Sure, yet we yeah. spend billions of dollars a year fighting what is the illicit sale of legal commodities. One hundred percent of human slavery is illegal, and who's got the ball on that issue? Is Homeland Security touching? Like, I mean, or Homeland Security tries, and the agents who 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 work that issue do a great job. The FBI has some agents who work that issue. They do a great job. The U.S. Marshals has some uh, agents who do that issue. They do a great job. Uh, the Postal Service has some inspectors who work on that issue. 
the major majority of it is done by state and local law enforcement. So state and local law enforcement is doing the heavy lifting on the fight against human trafficking, yet there was never a centralized brain for the processing all of all of that. Within the war on terror, we have uh, what we call the, the, well, not what we call, what is called the uh, counter, um, the counterterrorism center. And so the CTC is really the reason why our country and, and the globe has been so effective in the fight against human traffic or the fight against terrorism. It's because we've had a centralized brain to coordinate all of the trafficking or all of the, the terrorism intelligence. So when you look at the DEA comes across terrorism intelligence that gets pushed to CTC, as does any terrorism intelligence that comes from the ATF or that comes from the FBI. This is, this is one of the things that was really amplified after September 11th when it was made clear that we had government agencies that were fighting terrorism in a silo. So, so t- the, the terrorism issue was given to the Central Intelligence Agency and the, and the Director for National Intelligence was created. And they really made the CTC, which was this kind of like small little office where in the intelligence community pre-9-11, you, you went to when you got in trouble or it was the people who maybe weren't, weren't effective in other places. Suddenly that became the main focus. And when it was properly resourced and it became the main focus and they put their best and brightest against it, suddenly the terrorism issue gets a whole lot easier to manage. And that's what we're trying to do at Deliver Fund with the, with the fight against human trafficking is be that coordinating centralized brain where we are helping all of these different jurisdictions and municipalities across the globe, be them federal agents all the way down to local constables in Texas, and and bringing them all together to make sure that all that intelligence is coordinated, ensure that their operations are coordinated, and, and make sure they get the resources that they need to be able to fight this issue effectively. That makes sense, because it sounds to me like whether it be an agent in the field or it be, you know, a, a unit or something, you uncover this child trafficking situation. Uh, it just kind of, it, it shows up and you're like, what do we do with this? You hand it over to the CTC, exactly. but then there's no repository of data available for them to be able to respond to it. So it doesn't sound like it's pushed to the side per se, but it seems to me Well, that- and if it is in one jurisdiction, that information is still available for the next jurisdiction. Yeah. Right, because because yeah. traffickers are highly transitory. We did it this way. One of my very very good friends um, is a MMA coach named Greg Jackson. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. Um, he he actually got his start really in the martial arts space. Um, he only got into the UFC stuff because he's a really good strategist, and his fighters were winning fights, not because they could throw a harder punch or throw a harder kick or had some, you know, special five finger death punch technique that nobody else had. It was because of strategy. And so, uh, we did a lot of work with him in in one of my past lives. And, and one of the things that Greg was really keen on teaching operational units is how to fight together. So, you know, if, if I don't, it doesn't matter if one person's a black belt and, some discipline and other persons of black belt in another discipline, if they're both trying to work together on the same problem, they're just going to constantly get in each other's way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But if you have a couple of, say, blue belts in jujitsu, 
who are both taught by the same person have the same common operating framework and put them up against together some of the most lethal people in the world, they'll do pretty well because they know how to work together because they're, they have a, a common operating framework. That's, the, that's a, an analogy for the way that we're solving the, the human trafficking problem is providing that common framework, that common operating data picture that law enforcement can all now work together. So if you have some random law enforcement officer who's working human trafficking issues as a detective in Lincoln, Nebraska, and you've got another law enforcement officer in San Diego, they don't know each other. They've never met. They might both be undercover, and quite frankly, they don't want the other law enforcement officer to know who they are. That's not a problem because if they're both on our, uh, if they're both working with Deliver Fund, they both have the same operating picture and they both have access to the same data on the tr- on the human trafficker who's making his way between San Diego and Lincoln, Nebraska. As does every other law enforcement officer in every other municipality in between. It makes perfect sense. Wow, um, Nick. How much, you know, I know in some of our statistics we have, there's a kind of a basic 80%. It shifts around from year to year. But when we talk about child victimization uh, in a situation where it's abuse or some type of targeted cruelty, you mm-hmm. have about 80% or, or over 80% of those children are victims by someone that they know or have been already associated with. In this case, we're talking about grooming. But mm-hmm. a lot of those, a lot of those numbers come from the family, and I'm curious to know through your experience, how often do you see someone in their immediate family involved in this, or is that even a situation? So quite often, I would say more often with women uh, and girls than than with boys, but but quite often, it's it's an uncle. It's a mom with a drug problem. It's a dad with uh, a bunch of drug debts. There's there's a lot of uh, a lot of commonality with it's somebody that the child knew. When it comes to the the when it comes to really the abduction piece of trafficking, but a lot of trafficking is is especially in the modern age is the children are essentially trafficking themselves they meet somebody online in another state and they run away to then go meet that person. So that's, that's really the child trafficking themselves and they get there and then obviously their life has changed versus the soccer coach who ends up victimizing a child right. or, or uh, the priest who ends up victimizing a child or something like that. That is, that is much more, uh, that, that's not as much on the trafficking side. So when we look at child exploitation and human trafficking, the two of them have a lot of overlap, but they're not the same thing. And I'll get a lot of uh, a lot of flack from my, um, you know, from your law enforcement listeners for saying that because uh, under the federal law, you can charge them both accordingly. There's also a lot of funding that just kind of lumps all those crimes together uh, into one bucket, mm-hmm. and and I don't agree with doing that. So a great example would be. On a, if we fought terrorism that way overseas, we would just get crushed because there's so many nuances to terrorism. Why is somebody participating in it? Are we really cared about, do we care most about the person who's trying to blow themselves up 
most of those people are mentally ill or have some type of uh, other issue going on. It's really what we need to focus on is, is who is who is creating the fervor that causes that person to want to blow themselves up and then how did they get the bomb and how did they get into the system and, and all of those things. So if we just focus on the person who wants to blow themselves up, well, people are going to constantly be blowing themselves up because we're never going to get ahead of that. It's very, very difficult to disincentivize somebody who's willing to die for their purpose, right? So, um, so no amount of threats are going to work. So then it's just a, it's an arms race, basically. Well, when it comes to the child trafficking issue and the child exploitation issue, you kind of have the same thing. So you have people who exploit children for their own value, and that's, that's important. The word value is very important. So they are getting something, some kind of sick, twisted, you know, thing in their head is getting, uh, say, itch in their head is getting scratched by exploiting a child, right? Um, those, are, those are those hands-on offenders. And then there are the people who exploit other people for their, um, for their own economic value. So they are, they're selling that person. They're selling access to that person so they can make money, so they can get drugs, so they can get influence. That's the Epstein issue, um, right? It's, it's somebody is forcing, it's, they're either forcing, defrauding, or coercing another person into providing some type of labor or service in exchange for their own economic value, right? So when you look at human trafficking, the best way to look at it is when somebody forces somebody else to do something and the person doing the forcing gets paid for it. Versus the child exploitation piece, oftentimes there's you know very sick, twisted psychological stuff going on that causes somebody to want to hurt a child um, and now they might also be selling videos or something like that of, or, or trading videos for other videos and whatnot. And, and those, those are the, you get into these nuances of like, is that trafficking? Is it not trafficking? And now we're having debates among scholars. We want to stay out of that territory. Yeah. We just want to focus on the fact that a person who's selling access to another person for their own economic benefit, that is a human trafficker. And that happens routinely in the United States of America. So does it have to be physical? Like if, if I... No. Yeah, so if, if I capture some, you know, I, I target someone, hypothetically, and I go after him or her, maybe it's you know, a 12-year-old girl, and I get their information, their person, I kind of hold that hostage, and I'm able to get video or images of stuff. Is that, that is considered almost like digital trafficking? Is that part of what we're talking about here, Nick? Yeah, so we call that sextortion, yeah. and often where you have, uh, you know, well, let's roll back a little and talk about the times we're living in, right? Um, I don't know how old you are. I'm, I'm 43, and I can tell you that I, I remember a lot of life where iPads and iPhones did not exist, and the internet was this, like, cool thing that really popped up in my late teen years, but really didn't become usable, like email <laughs> wasn't even really around. I think I got my first email address when I was 20. So, or maybe I was 19. Either way, like you, you, nobody could really navigate the internet. You didn't really know what it all meant. Uh, that, was, uh, that was the generation I grew up in. 
now you have kids who grow up who um, one of the one of the problems with children these days is that uh, in when they get to preschools, they know how to swipe, but they don't know how to turn the pages of a book. Mm. So that's the that's the age that we're living in. So our parents never had to worry about these types of issues, but the but the modern father does have to worry about these these types of issues and. It's not enough to say, well, I'm not really good with technology, so I let my kids deal with that. That is the wrong answer. That's like saying, you know, I'm not really good with guns, so I'm going to let my kids deal with that. Yeah, those. right. That's a great analogy. <laughs> I mean, it's and, and in many cases, uh, the internet and smart smartphone technologies are way more dangerous than firearms. Yeah. Way more dangerous than firearms. I mean, we have this huge Second Amendment debate going on in our country right now. Um, we should be having a, a massive debate around the safety of of digital media. How many young girls commit suicide every year because of cyberbullying? Right. Way more than than you know children who are shot with with weapons. And that doesn't excuse the children who are shot with weapons. But let's I mean let's not put the cart before the horse here. Like if we're truly concerned about the the safety of children, we need to start having a conversation about these internet technologies which directly lead to suicides and homicides and you know gang violence and all kinds of things that children get wrapped up into and this extortion issue is is just one of those issues um, children committing suicide because they they you know young young teenage girl sends a nude selfie to somebody that she thinks is a teenage boy that she likes and that teenage boy turns out is actually a 40 year old man who's 3000 miles away that now uses that selfie to control her. So one of the things that, that all parents should do, all, all parents, coaches, you know, uh, uh, martial arts coaches like yourself, everybody should be telling children is that if you send an image, one, anything you put on the internet is there for forever. Yeah, right. So think about that. Yeah. Um, two, if you send an image to somebody and you make a dumb decision, um, that's okay. You need to tell somebody as soon as possible so that law enforcement can get involved. And if anybody starts trying to use that image against you, starts trying to extort you, I mean, we're in the day, we live in a day and age where we need to start having conversations with our children at a very young age about the word extortion and what that word means. Uh, which is some, which, I mean, that, that's a position parents have never been in, in the history of the world. So we need to have those conversations and say, if this happens, this is this, you know, you're not going to get in trouble because you did this. You're like, we're going to get you out of this trouble. And only adults and only parents can do that. You cannot handle this issue on your own. And there are great laws where if, if, a, if a child sends that image, well, that image is actually, especially if it's sexual in nature, is actually, is actually classified as child pornography. So that, in, that image, law enforcement can get that image from the child's phone, send it to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, immediately get it hashed, and then make sure that all the large tech companies know that anytime their AI sees that hash value, they can pull it off of the internet, and so they can keep it from spreading. Um, so while anything you put on the internet is there forever, that is true, but there forever in how many places? And so the sooner that a child tells their parents 
that they have done this thing, the sooner the parent can get law enforcement involved, the sooner we can make sure that it's not in very many places uh, and that it doesn't haunt that child for the rest of their life. Which which is and that brings me to another topic. It's very important for for parents to know this up front so that they can have essentially household policies uh, with their children that make it clear that their children that that it's safe for their children to come to them with this issue, right? Just just as if a a you know a child did drugs in their room and suddenly was feeling really bad and feeling like they were, you know, couldn't breathe anymore. Um, you know, the parent is not going to, is not going to come down on that child and make them suffer the consequences of that, of that narcotic. They're going to get them the help that they need and get them to the emergency room immediately. Law enforcement is the emergency room for those, those extortion cases. And, and that, that's really the big takeaway for these fathers is, is they need to understand that. I don't care how technically savvy a parent is. It is impossible to know everything that your child is doing online because your child will borrow a friend's phone at school. Uh, they may, you may say that they can't have the TikTok app. Well, they'll just get to, the, they'll just get to TikTok on, on the browser. Children will always find a way around the rules. I mean, look at the story of you know, me in high school. Uh, right? It sounds like your own daughter in high school possibly. Um, you know, so they'll always find ways around the rules. It's important for kids to know what they can and cannot uh, safely bring to their parents. And if, and if, if your child feels like if they made this mistake and they can't safely bring that to you and have that conversation and they don't feel like you know how to, how to help them solve that problem, you're just making the situation worse for them. I'd like to, in a second, come back to the, the technology part, but I would like to take even a few more steps back for the dads here. We've, I think, really, I, I've begun to understand better what we're up against, what we're facing here, what the situation is and why. Um, but I'd like to even kind of step further into that to help break maybe narratives or pre-existing ideas that some of the dads have. Is there a specific socioeconomic group or a specific demographic that you see more of this happening in, or is there dividing points to different groups, uh, demographics, maybe it could be uh, in different parts of the country, what have you, that really stand out? Or is it, nope, it's uh, it's blanket. It's Chappaqua, New York, just as much as it is downtown Chicago, you know, South Side, or it's, you know, Scottsdale, Arizona, and it's in Olympia, Washington. What does it look like to you there? It's a blue ocean for human traffickers. Yeah, wow. uh, we've had children trafficked, teenage girls trafficked out of some of the most expensive and ritziest private schools in the United States of America. Uh, we've also seen it in the incredibly impoverished rural America. Obviously, you have the missing and murdered indigenous women issue. Um, some of that is trafficking, not all of it, but some of it is. Uh, I mean, so it, 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 it really spans the socioeconomic uh, lines almost equally what we find primarily is that when you have especially when we're talking about teenage girls uh, and this is make no mistake this is predominantly a women's issue uh, it is predominantly girls and women who are the victims of 
a crime, in this case trafficking, that is predominantly perpetrated by middle-aged white men. That's predominantly who your, who your customers are. Your traffickers also, though, span kind of all socioeconomic uh, and, and demographic divides. I mean, there was a news story I saw of an uh, a airline pilot for a publicly traded airline company who was a human trafficker. Uh, I mean, it's Epstein was a human trafficker, as was his girlfriend or whatever whatever she was, um, right? I mean, these are, it spans everything. But we don't, you know, the, the Epsteins of the world are the, are the exception. The rule is predominantly somebody who obviously um, has a very skewed moral and ethical compass who's willing to exploit other people for their own personal gain. Um, and at that point, that trafficker doesn't care, you know, man, woman, child, they don't care. They will traffic whoever, uh, whoever needs to be trafficked. Um, uh, somebody who works with us at Deliver Fund brought to my attention a 60-year-old man who was trafficked for drugs, essentially uh, sold himself for a drug, you know, to, to cover a drug debt. I mean, so it, it, it covers all all spans. And, and so really what, what we need to understand about this trafficking issue is that it's happening on such a scale that parents need to be overly almost engaged in their children's lives in order to understand when there's something wrong and get in front of it. Um, parents need to be nosy. I mean, God knows my mom was probably one of the nosiest mothers on the planet and, uh, and for my benefit. Uh, she was always involved in like, you know, who is this person? Who are you hanging out with? Um, right. Keep trying to keep me out of the wrong, wrong crowd, so to speak. Uh, parents need to be doing the same thing. And, and I think often do in the physical space, they just neglect the cyber space. And we need to start treating the cyber space. Parents need to treat the cyber space uh, at l with at least the deference that they treat the physical space because usually the physical crimes that will end up harming their children are usually or, or or the physical crimes where their children will harm them uh, or harm themselves can usually be traced back to the cyberspace so that's the point of entry for harm of our children in in all types of different ways right we're not just talking human trafficking here uh, but that tends to be obviously the, the highest risk thing that people think about is the child exploitation, human trafficking. And so that's where by, by focusing on preventing the child exploitation, human trafficking issues, the second order effect of that is that you also prevent all types of other potential ways that people might exploit your children or your children might end up uh, essentially exploiting themselves. You know, we, we had a, uh, summit that I hosted back at the beginning of the month, Child Safety Summit. And one of the topics on the third day was exactly what we're talking about. We had Matt McKee, uh, who is the author of Parenting in a Tech World, and he also is uh, one of the guys over at Bark Technologies. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Great company. Great company. Doing cool stuff. Um, and what we found at, during the summit is that his conversation, his presentation was watched and participated by, we had about 824 parents who signed up for it. Uh, obviously, because my audience is dads, almost 800 of them were men. We did a, uh, a survey as they signed up, 608 of them con 
did the survey. And we found that the number one concern when it comes to safety that parents now have is uh, digital online exploitation. Second was mental illness and self-imposed uh, uh, um, damage, like self-imposed injury and mental, mental illness and depression. But the first at 38% was, we don't know what to do about this digital thing, which is to me is, is promising. You know, the, the, mm -hmm. the targeted violence and things like that came in at third and fourth. But the fact that this is now starting to become more top of mind and being considered as important as it should be was, is, is quite promising. Um, I would like to kind of step back into a couple things that you spoke about, and I'd like to kind of peel back a few things and get your perspective on the goods and the bads. So as the technology is advancing and developing, and we do have things like you know VPNs for our homes, but like you said, it doesn't make a difference what you put there. They're gonna they're gonna figure out ways to access what they want to access. Um, but as we move towards like the Web 3.0, I'd like to do some future casting and see and and speak to the parents of like, okay, <clears throat> this is what's coming down. This is how technology is evolving. And these are some of the things that you can look forward to. There is going to be um, hardening of privacy. However, you need to be aware of, you know, as we move into, if we could maybe scope forward about three years, what does that look like? Uh, and will parents need to be more concerned about things like, um, you know, Omegle and, and platforms like that? Uh, or do we have, you know, Talk to me a little bit about technology. It's in, maybe for some of those more savvy fathers out there, where do they, where should they put the brakes on and start focusing, redirecting their focus? So there's, man, that's a that's a really tough question because I'm a, uh, I'm one of the biggest fans of the decentralization movement, be it cryptos, Web three, yep. any of that. I say I say decentralize as much as we possibly can, because when we do, we're, we're actually um, uh, decentralizing power as well, and it kind of evens the playing field globally. So there's that. But then how do you operate within that environment? And I think the reality is nobody knows quite yet. Um, so the first is, I, I think regardless of the environment, right, we, we take the same, we should take the same approach to, we, we should take the same approach to the internet, I think, as we take to narcotics. Mm. Um, uh, uh, or, or firearms, right? My guess is you said your, your daughter just graduated high school. You've had lots of narcotics based talks with yes. her over the years. Yeah. My guess is you never told her that if the doctor prescribes her something for pain for a knee surgery, that she shouldn't take it. We've, it's the same thing as being told on the street. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we, there are circumstances where narcotics are good and they do a lot of help or they, they do a lot of good and, and they help the individual a lot. There are circumstances where they are not. Learn to know the difference. Um, there are circumstances where firearms are good and do a lot of good and help. There are circumstances where they don't. Learn to know the difference interpersonal human aggression, right? Your entire professional existence. Um, there are times when that does a lot of good and, and really helps people. And there are times when it doesn't learn to know the difference. And I think when it comes to the human trafficking issue and the child exploitation issue in general, it's, 
and, and any technology, it's to know some of these things are really good. Some of them are not. This is how you, child, learn to know the difference. And I think that that really solves that problem at the, at the family level. Right. And, and so, you know, a lot of people are worried about the mental illness issue, you said, but the number one thing they were worried about was the digital issue. Well, aren't those the same? That's immediately what I thought. Yeah, there is a, you can tether There's those a, two for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, the, the correlation causation uh, Venn diagram is darn near becoming a circle between those two, uh, especially when it comes to uh, young girls and, and teenage girls. Yeah. So, so I think that's really, that's really the big issue. Uh, the second issue is we need parents to be politically involved. Uh, and, politi- and, I, and I mean at the local level. Who cares what happens in Washington, D.C.? It does not affect you, dad, near as much as you think it does. What affects you, dad, um, since that's predominantly you know, who we're talking to yeah. here, is your local school board. Your county sheriff, right? Your mayor, your city council, like all politics is local, start there. So when you go, you know, again, we talked about the fact that you cannot have a human trafficking victim if you do not have a human trafficker. So when you go to your your city council or you go to your mayor, or you know, I did I did that here. Uh, went to the city manager and we had coffee and I said, so tell me about what you guys do in the human trafficking issue. And oh, you know, lots of wringing of hands and mashing of teeth and talking about how it's the most important thing. And, you know, we're, we're, we're doing everything we can I'd say, awesome. Thank you for that. The very next question every parent should ask is, please show me the budget line item that funds the counter human trafficking unit within the police department. And then you, you get a lot of uncomfortable dancing in the seat from the politician to say, well, I mean, you know, uh, we're, we're doing the best we can, but if you go look at your city's budget, uh, whatever city you're in, my guess is your gang's task force is fully funded. My guess is your drug task force is fully funded. Your property crimes task force is fully funded. You probably have at least one detective, if you're in a city of any size, whose full-time job is auto theft, dealing with auto thefts. And yet you'll probably find you don't have a single detective whose full-time job is human trafficking. You pr- it's probably a secondary or tertiary duty for one of the child pornography analysts or somebody like that. And they're, they're, you know, the child pornography detectives, child exploitation detectives and, and the ICACs, they are, I mean, they're, they're up to their eyeballs in work. So they never get to get, they never have time to actually get to the 20 year old girl who's being trafficked out of college because that's not a crime against children issue. So that's really where we need parents to focus beyond the just teaching their children to know the difference between good and bad within this technological environment that they're living in. But it's also holding our local politicians' feet to the fire for f- properly funding the, uh, their anti-human trafficking units. And if they have a property crimes unit, if they're more worried about copper getting pulled out of buildings than they are children being trafficked, then you need to get rid of them and put some new politicians in place who will take the proper 
uh, you know, who will take the proper stance. I mean, if we have trees getting planted in the medians to make our sidewalks and our cities look better, then we absolutely have the money to fund our law enforcement's fight against child exploitation and against human trafficking. And if they don't have the money, well, then they cannot plant the trees and they can use that money. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. You know, the, the, the Bible says that, that where, your, uh, where your money is, there your heart will be also. So we, th- th- I mean, that's really the biggest thing that parents can do is start holding their local politicians' feet to the fire on this issue. Uh, when I say local politicians, again, school board all the way up to the mayor and everywhere in between. And if you're in a county and you don't really have a mayor, so to speak, then you're, you, you know, whoever, whoever governs the local space where you live, holding their feet to the fire on this issue. Because if every law enforcement department, I mean, we have about 1,800 law enforcement departments in this country, but if every law enforcement department or task force of law enforcement departments, because in rural America, right, they... The county sheriffs will kind of uh, do deals between each other where one will focus on narcotics while the other focuses on gangs or vice versa. But if, if all of them took the human trafficking issue as seriously as they took the, as they took the uh, weapons proliferation and the, uh, narc- and the narcotics proliferation issue, and they all equally took the human trafficking issue as seriously – we wouldn't have near the problem in this country that we have right now. And regardless of municipality size too, right? You're, you're saying that it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make a difference if you're in urban or small town. You have to take that step Not forward. one bit. Yeah. What about... What- Not one bit. We've, we had a human trafficker actually go from Houston, Texas, all the way up to Billings, Montana, and then started moving east towards Minneapolis. Wow. And, and just hitting small rural towns all along the way. And he both was selling victims and picking up victims all along the way because these traffickers know that small town rural America uh, isn't thinking about uh, isn't thinking about them. Uh, and they also know that that's a place where they can go to uh, to sell their wares without a whole lot of competition for a short period of time. So that's, I mean, rural America is, is just as susceptible to the trafficking issue, if not more susceptible to the trafficking issue than you know the, the large cities are. Nick, how then does a, a father who does go to their town look, ask about that line item, but then they're, they're told that that type of situation and that type of crime is built into the gang crime unit or a, you know, a special crimes unit, but it's, it's part of that. How do you say no, no, no? What's that argument there? Uh, so that's just that just shows that your politicians don't properly understand the issue. Uh, that's like saying that well, our our terrorism task force also fights narcotics. Mm. I mean, I can tell you as as a guy who spent his entire career in you know counterterrorism and counter narcotics were the primary missions that that my unit was responsible for at the agency or that we you know we we did a lot of work within. The, those two have a huge overlap. So it makes way more sense to to combine those two than it does to say, well, our human trafficking issue is in the gangs unit. So what does that mean? You only look at human trafficking that has a correlation with gangs. You know, what about the what about the twenty year old girl who was trafficked out of the college by some guy that she met over the internet on a dating app? Yeah. 
you you don't do that or or they'll say well it's 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 wrapped into the sex crimes unit well no it's not <laughs> it's just not that is just you know that that's that's placating the public again show me the budget line item for human trafficking and if there isn't a specific budget line item for fighting human trafficking then your politicians are not taking it seriously that would be a great first step and that kind of leads me to my final question i want to be respectful of your time which is what are some steps that we can take aside okay so you shared with us that first step but things that come to mind nick are like how do how is a father how do we recognize a child who may be in that situation not our own but what are some of the what mm -hmm. are some of the indicators that we need to look for uh, before we sort of sound the alarm and start asking those questions. And then next to that is, what are those questions and where do we go if we feel concerned for a child? So the big thing that every parent should be looking for is abnormal behavior. But, and so that, you know, that's kind of a blanket statement for sure. everything though, right? If, if a child, you're right, it may not be your child, it might be one of your children's friends is involved in narcotics, you're going to see abnormal behavior. If they're involved, you know, if they're being groomed by a trafficker, you're going to see abnormal behavior. One of the things that all traffickers look to do as part of their playbook is they want to separate the child from their support network. So they want to separate them from their parents, from their friends, and make the, the trafficker wants to make it so the victim is solely reliant on the trafficker. So we need to make sure that the that, that we're looking for that abnormal behavior. Uh, and then the, the real key indicators are obviously the, the same things that you would be looking for if, if, you, if you were thinking that your daughter was dating a drug dealer, right? Unexplained income, large age differential, um, seem, seeming to control, right? Really wanting to control her um, is, is never, never really around, not, doesn't, doesn't seem to be who they, who they say they are. And let's keep in mind, teenage boys are used as recruiters by human traffickers and they're compensated on bringing victims to the traffic. That just added a whole so nother level. A, wow. Yeah. So this is a, I mean, this is a business, um, for these traffickers and they, they have sales reps as a way to think of it, right? They they have sales funnels. They know that if they they need to talk to a hundred girls on the internet to get fifty to actually communicate with them, to get twenty to um, engage in a cyber relationship, to get ten to agree to a meeting, to get three to actually show up. I mean, it's it they're playing a numbers game. And it's important for uh, for parents to realize that. So, so going back to the you know being nosy as a parent, who are you talking to? How does it work? And and where age appropriate uh, at at Deliver Fund, we have a series of YouTube videos called Hunting with the Huntress, and it's one of our our lead intelligence analysts, Kara Smith, actually breaks down human traffickers' social media and shows kind of how it works and what it is that they do. Um, and you can also go to uh, just deliverfund.org, and we have a page for parent resources. Pretty soon, we're actually going to have some videos coming out where that will actually train parents on what human trafficking is and then what they can do about it, steps that they can take. Uh, it'll train them on the mindset of human trafficking victims. Uh, and then really just to kind of speak to fathers specifically, 
most of the time when you look at when you talk to trafficking victims after they'd been out for a while you find that there was no father in the home uh, or father was checked out and that is actually the biggest vulnerability i think for all children is one having parents but both parents are checked out it's amazing that that kids you know make it at all Um, But, but having, you know, having parents that are checked in to their children's lives to the best that they can be, we all have to make choices. Um, And, and then also just, especially when it comes to daughters, I mean, the research around, around daughters in fatherless homes is, is really staggering. Um, And that's not to take away from sons too, but it just, most of the research I've read seems to, seems to show that. Mothers can do a pretty good job for filling in for lack of a father, but it, it seems that the, that lack of a positive male role model in a daughter's life, in a, in, in a girl's life, is just, um, is just extremely damaging. And so in the cases where, where that person isn't there, that's where you know coaches and teachers and uh, pastors or whoever, right? Martial arts coaches, everybody can be, uh, can really help to fill in to show what right looks like. Because oftentimes, I mean, we have a trafficking victim that we worked with who said that what she wanted to be when she grew up was a stripper. Because that's what she thought right looked like. Uh, and then that gets into the, the, the last last thing I'll say is is dads and moms teach your son not, sons not to view women as commodities because the commoditization of women in our society is what largely leads to this. Again, if you look back to what we talked about when it comes to human trafficking, it's predominantly women women and girls who are being trafficked predominantly by men, sold to or rented by the hour to predominantly men. And so this is a very much a women's issue that is being created by men. And that's something that we as a culture need to, uh, need to deal with. And the, the number one way to deal with that is for fathers and mothers to teach their sons that women are not commodities. Absolutely. Wow. It, it, you know, Nick, there's so many more questions I have to ask you about this. Uh, you know, there's questions like, I'd really like to know with all of the exposure to this that you've had with kids, how, like how you're able to manage, um, that's, it's gotta be a lot. It really does. And uh, just like to take a moment and acknowledge and honor you for that and for the work that you're doing, uh, for these children, for these families, for their future and for the future of, of our country, uh, and the, the world as a whole. I mean, it's, it is, a, it, 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 it's massive, but I'd really, you know, could you share with me a little bit about how you and your team manage with some of this? Because you're seeing the worst of the worst. Yes. Uh, so not me as much anymore. Uh, I'm doing more of this kind of sure. stuff. Uh, but 20 feet that direction, we've got a former law enforcement detective who is working through uh, human trafficking cases right now. And so we, uh, I mean, we've got 
psychologists and, and psychiatrists who, who help out, who um, have, have helped us put in place the right policies and the right limits. Uh, we, we do the absolute best that we can to, to take care of our people. Uh, but there are people who are just wired in such a way that compartmentalization is, is, is natural. So a lot of people will say they can compartmentalize, but they can't. Um, and some people can. Uh, and, and that is, I mean, that, that's just a, that's just a reality of like what the special ops community looks for, right? People with a disproportional ability to compartmentalize, um, the, the now versus the then and, and have that not affect them. And then when it does finally start to affect them, cause it is going to affect everybody. I mean, I have very, very specific human trafficking cases that if you say, tell me about your worst one, there is one that like routinely pops in my mind and like that's the thing and and those are absolutely heartbreaking but these are these are trained professionals they know how to deal with it um and and when you look at where we're coming from i mean kind of our unfair advantage in fighting human trafficking is the fact that we have been in the war against terror i mean this is the longest war in the history of our country i mean some people have you know a couple combat deployments from the gulf war I'm coming off of 30 combat deployments and I'm not even close, not even <laughs> close to uh, how much combat time so many of my friends and peers have. I mean, I've got nothing compared to them. So so when you take that, those professionals and you put them together into one organization to just specifically focus on fighting this issue at the scale that it's happening at, um, that that's that's incredibly effective and that's one of the biggest ways that people can help us at deliver fund we can't do that work uh we can't charge law enforcement for it law enforcement doesn't have any money uh the trafficking victims aren't going to pay us to get them rescued and the traffickers are not going to pay us to uh to see to it that they get arrested so that means we are absolutely reliant on folks like your listeners to contribute to the fight to help us do this work day in and day out. Tell us how we can do that. What are those steps and where would you like us to contact? Uh, so go to donate.deliverfund.org is the best way uh, is to financially contribute to the fight. Um, you do not need to be a wealthy person contributing tens of thousands of dollars a month. Uh, don't underestimate 10, 15 bucks a month, right? A couple of cups of coffee essentially um, in the fight in a recurring monthly donation. That is the absolute biggest way. Uh, and then telling us your friends and bringing us resources. You can find us on all the social media platforms at Deliver Fund. And then you can find me on all the social media platforms at Deliver Fund Nick, and that's N-I-C. I'll make sure I have all those resources in the show notes. Uh, Nick, is there, is there any final thoughts or any possibly anything that we didn't step into that you would specific messages to the fathers out there that are listening to this? No, I think you uh, approached it from a, a, obviously you've done some research and, and then I've been talking to the folks at Bark, um, which I'm a big fan of their platform, by the way. So if you are not a customer of Bark, uh, highly as a parent, highly recommend you, uh, you, you start using their platform. Uh, there's another great platform called GameSafe, 
uh, if, you're, if your children are playing, you know, games on online or on, on Android platforms, GameSafe will actually monitor the chats for grooming behavior. And if it, and if it finds grooming behavior, it'll lock up those chats and, and inform you as a, um, uh, as a parent. So, so utilizing those types of technologies, Bark, GameSafe, um, I, you would, should be using them both because uh, they do very different things. And the reality is, is that just like we spend a month um, on alarm systems, uh, we as parents have to spend money keeping our children safe. And that's why those technologies are so important. It's why organizations like Deliver Fund are so important. And it's why understanding the, techno the, the dangers of the technological environment that we live in is so important. And then more, more importantly than that, helping your children to decipher between good and bad in online behavior. Which comes right down to communication, which is what you were saying earlier, is, and how important that is. It was interesting in the, um, in the summit, Nick, every one of the speakers over the course of three days, it, when I distill it down to what was their core message, everything was centered around, number one, communicating with your children, not being afraid to have those uncomfortable conversations, because those uncomfortable, the outcome of those uncomfortable uncom conversations are going to be the mortar of trust that you're going to build with that child. And then the second was, mm -hmm. don't be afraid to bring your children into uh, difficult situations. Don't be afraid to bring them into, uh, into the woods, so to speak, uh, and do that with vulnerability mm -hmm. and show them that you, know, you don't know the answer to this question, but let's learn it together. And I think that th mm -hmm. there's a lot of that uh, echo in everything that you're sharing with us today and what we can do as fathers to be able to have those conversations with them. And we're now empowered with this information, uh, we know that this is a situation that needs an all hands on deck here in our country. It's not a situation that's happening over in Thailand or Nigeria or some other remote part of the world uh, that doesn't involve us. It is a serious situation where every single one of us specifically uh, in this conversation, the men and the fathers, need to pay attention to. And I think that uh, this conversation and organizations like, uh, like the one that you lead, Nick, are help, helping us to do that. Uh, so just thank you so much for your time here. I look forward to hopefully one day continuing this conversation with you. Sure thing. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you. I want to thank you for spending time with us on this episode today. It's truly appreciated. I hope you got some value from it. If you want to go ahead and leave any comments or questions, reach out to me directly. I personally answer all of the questions that you have. If you know someone like yourself who may find value in this episode, then please go ahead and share it. We'd also like to ask you to subscribe to Close Quarter Dad. This way you get updated every time a new episode comes out wherever you're listening to this episode. Thank you so much once again, and we'll see you on the next episode of Close Quarter Dad.